Good to see everybody back tonight. Thank you for those who are guests here with us. May God bless you. And thank you for the members for coming back and continuing to study and to worship our Father as a family this evening. I want to begin by asking you a couple of questions. There are some passages in the Bible that when we hear them, I think for most of us, if not all of us, can automatically know what verse is being referred to and what book is being referred to. There are certain passages and books that we hear or maybe read on a regular basis, and as a result of that, we quickly automatically know, okay, I know exactly where he is and what passage he's talking about. For example, I'll put you guys all on the spot, all right, so you don't have to shout anything out, but I want you to come along with me, all right? If I say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, we all know where I'm, I'm quoting from, right? Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1. If I say, for God so loved the world, I don't even have to finish that verse. Where am I? Refer- what passage is that? John three sixteen. We've heard that so many times and we study that and rightfully so. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. I think all of us can quote that passage and we all know exactly where that verse is. What about this passage here? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know what book that's found in? Philippians chapter 4, verse number 13. You guys are, are, are saying it back to me. And there are passages and books that we can hear and we quickly know where those passages are. What about this one here? I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. Does that sound familiar? Hopefully it does because that's been part of our Bible reading, but maybe for some it's not because it's from a small little letter tucked away in the New Testament, a forgotten letter. That's what I like to call it, the short letter from Paul to a man by the name of Philemon. Open up your Bible and please turn over to the letter referred to as the letter to Philemon. This morning we talked about another letter that can often be forgotten, and that was the letter from Jude. It's easy for us to have books that we like to read more than other books that we have in the New Testament, or for that matter, in the Old Testament. Think about the book of Psalms. You can wake up in the morning, before you go to bed at night, you can open up the book of Psalms. I don't think we typically do that, though, with books like Nahum or Obadiah or Habakkuk in the Old Testament. There are certain books that we're going to kind of gravitate more to, and that's okay. Maybe the Gospels or maybe the book of Romans uh, in the New Testament. Many people like to go to the book of Revelation. Yet all of these books, all 66, are inspired. And there's a message for us. While they were written to other people, there's a message for us that the Holy Spirit has preserved that we need to know, just as we learn from the letter from Jude. And the same will be so with this letter from Paul to Philemon. What I want to do tonight, I want to read all 25 verses. There's only 25 verses in this short little letter because the letter itself is powerful. And while it may be overlooked at times, there are great lessons for us. It really is exciting to, to study a letter like Philemon. And I believe you're going to be challenged and encouraged by the things you're going to learn if this is new to you. And if it's not, then it's certainly going to be a nice little uh, reminder of some great things for us as the people of God, our mindset, our mentality, our actions attitude toward one another. Paul's going to write this to Philemon, and he's going to ask Philemon to do some things, some challenging things. And so as we're reading, I want you to see what can you learn? What can we learn from this forgotten letter? Look at verse number one, and we're
and we're just going to walk our way. We're going to read all 25 verses, and then we'll give some additional details from this forgotten letter. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to, you, I have, come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you, verse number 10, for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person. That is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. Verse 15, or perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for, for a while that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. What do you think? What stood out to you in this short letter, this forgotten letter? Anything challenging you see in the text? Sometimes there are some things in this letter here that can be challenging for some to really think about. So let's talk about this a little bit. The main characters are pretty easy to understand, the main people in this letter. We have Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. It appears that Paul wrote this letter from prison while in Rome to Philemon. You look at verse number 13. Or verse number 10, he said, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, and then he would say the same thing essentially in verse number 13, whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. We learned at the beginning of this letter that Philemon had a church that was meeting in his house, and this was something that was common in the first century. So it appears that Philemon 
probably was rich uh, with having enough capacity to be able to have a church meeting in his home. History suggests that this was in Colossae. And Philemon was a faithful brother and may have even been converted by Paul. Just by listening to the words of Paul, we know that Philemon was doing great things. Look at verse number four. He said, I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have to the Lord Jesus. So this was a good man. Uh, he loved the brethren, and he had strong faith. In verse number 19, it appears that Paul may have converted him. Converted him. He said, I am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Maybe that's referring to the fact that Paul had taught him the gospel. So Paul is writing this letter for the sake of Onesimus and for Philemon. While Philemon would read this letter, remember at the beginning, this was also going to be shared with the church that was meeting in his house. And I think that's really fascinating as we really start to look into this letter. Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. Did you pick up on that? Verse 15 and 16. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever. It appears that Onesimus had run away. He had run away. And so he was a slave. Philemon was his master. In verse 16, Paul said, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And so in the process of time, Onesimus, after he ran away, would have an opportunity to meet Paul, and it appears that Paul converted him. Paul certainly loved both Philemon and he loved Onesimus. You look at verse 12, he said, I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my heart. Think about that language, sending my heart. Paul loved Onesimus, and certainly he had influenced him. Now this man was a Christian. And so understanding those details become really important. And so the question that I often think about is, why do we even have this letter? Have you thought about that? Why do we have this letter? It's so small. We don't typically look at it as we should. Uh, there's some things for us to really consider and to apply in our lives. So let's talk about this. I want to begin by first thinking about this, uh, this idea. When Philemon would hear this letter or when Philemon received this letter, what was he supposed to take away from it? Uh, what was he supposed to learn that Paul was communicating to him? And for that matter, Onesimus as well, and for the church that met in their house. Let's first talk about Philemon and Onesimus and how they were going to respond to this letter. The first thing that Paul is trying to emphasize to Philemon is that you got to receive Onesimus back. If you picked up on that, you see this idea that you have to receive him back in verse 12. In verse 15 and verse 17, basically the same language. Look at verse 12. I have sent him back to you in person. That is sending my very heart. Verse 15. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever. And then verse 17. If, if, if then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. So the main thing that Paul is trying to get across to Philemon is, I need for you to receive this brother back. I need for you to receive him back, and I'm going to have to have you receive him back the proper way. And it appears that Onesimus, Paul did not want Onesimus to leave, but that's exactly what he would tell him to do, that you need to go back to the house of Philemon. 
Paul knew that that was the right thing to do. Philemon was not only told to receive Onesimus back, but how he was to receive him. Did you pick up on that? And this is a really big deal because remember, Onesimus was a slave. Philemon was his master. And so understanding some things, and we'll talk about that here in just a moment, notice the language that Paul uses when he says, look, I'm sending him back again in verse number 15. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, not merely as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. You see what Paul is trying to impress upon him? The relationship now has changed. He's not merely one of your slaves. He is your brother in Christ. And so when he returns, when he comes back to you, you need to make sure that you receive him in the proper way. Now, sometimes people can get uncomfortable even just reading this idea of masters and slaves, particularly in the word of God. I've heard and known of Christians who have turned away from the faith because they learn about that there was slavery talked about and and demonstrated in the Bible in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And so let's address a couple of things here. I think we need to understand some things when we read about slavery in the first century and even for that matter in the Old Testament. It did exist, but maybe not as we think. I think when people look at some of these scriptures with respect to slavery, we automatically think about what happened in America centuries ago with respect to slavery, where people were were taken by force and were kidnapped and, and treated in a harsh manner. And yet we have to acknowledge that the New Testament always condemned the mistreatment of any person. In fact, the Old Testament condemned that as well. Let me give you a couple of examples. Look over in 1 Timothy chapter 1. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, as Paul is speaking about some things that are, that are wicked in nature, in verse number 10, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 10, uh, as he makes this list of things that, uh, that, are, that, that, are, that are sinful, uh, he said in verse number 9, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals. Notice what he said next, and kidnappers. And he would go along and say liars and perjurers. And whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. And so this idea of kidnappers is something that we find that was condemned in the first century. That word kidnapper may be translated as men stealers, slave dealers, or slave traders. And so understanding that helps us to see that this type of behavior was uh, described as immoral conduct in the eyes of the Apostle Paul and certainly in the eyes of the apostles in the first century. And therefore, it must be acknowledged that the slavery we read about in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament for that matter, it was different compared to what we may normally think. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Uh, there are many examples that we could look at in the Old Testament. And if you want some, uh, some more study on this, I'd be more than happy to talk to you about this. But some people became slaves because of massive debt because of debt that they had. And as a result of that, they would uh, get in some type of agreement in order to relieve this debt. Uh, Some became indentured servants. Some some became slaves as a result of a crime. That was their punishment. That's what they would have to do. I don't know exactly about Onesimus when we go back to Philemon, but maybe Onesimus, and I'm not for sure, but maybe Onesimus stole something from Philemon. And the reason why I say that 
is because Paul said in verse 18, if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So I don't know exactly what Onesimus may or may not have done, but what we do know is that he was a slave in the first century and understanding even the first century that a large percentage of the population during that time were, would be considered uh, a slave or have some type of role like that. And so just a good working knowledge on that, and we could spend an entire lesson uh, talking about that. I actually did something like that back at Dallin Road. Um, understanding that goes a long way. Not only that, but I want, you to dim, I want you to see something else here too. Look over in Colossians chapter 3. I have three passages in my outline. I'm just going to give you one. In Colossians chapter 3, as Paul is talking about relationships, Paul addresses the master-slave relationship. In the first century, he addresses that relationship. In verse number 22, Paul said, Slaves in all things, Colossians 3 and verse 22, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong, which he has done, and that without partiality. So he, he talks about that relationship, and he continues on. There were no chapter divisions there in the first century. In verse 1 of chapter 4, he said, Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. And so the apostles in the first century gave instruction even with respect to this relationship. And so when you go back to Philemon, and that's why this book is such a powerful book when you see what Paul and Philemon and Onesimus are going to do. What, what Paul is doing, he's trying to emphasize to Philemon, when Onesimus returns, you must treat him in the proper way. Do you guys see that? Does that make sense? You have to receive him not merely as a slave. Now the relationship has totally changed. You guys are now equal. You're not necessarily just the master and slave, but now you're equal. Why and how? Because you're both in Jesus Christ. That's what he's trying to emphasize when you look at verse number 16. Onesimus was to be received the same way that Paul was to be received. And I love how Paul did that uh, in verse number in verse number 12 and verse 16 and 17. Uh, he said, look, you, you receive him the same way that you're going to receive me. Uh, you treat him the same way that you're going to treat me. Verse 17, if then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. You see how Paul is trying to influence Philemon? Uh, he's trying to persuade him and help him to see the bigger picture here. And so this letter initially for Philemon, it's all about receiving Onesimus back. The relationship had changed. And what else is interesting is that the master-slave relationship had not changed. It doesn't appear that Paul is trying to tell him he's no longer a slave. In fact, he's saying, you go back. And what's fascinating is when you study the first century, just because this man became a Christian, it didn't necessarily change his situation. And his sins had been washed away. But that situation as a, as a slave still remained. So think about that. Reconciliation between master and slave. Now this is what Paul is asking. This is what he's encouraging Philemon to do. And no mistake about it, my friends, this was going to be a great test 
for these men and their faith. Wouldn't you think that would be a test? I, I think about a lot of things. Put yourself in their shoes for a moment. Was Philemon angry? Onesimus ran away. Did he owe him something? How did that impact the life of Philemon? Now Paul is saying you need to have a spirit of forgiveness. And brotherly love is going to be required from you. Love, care, compassion. Think about Onesimus. Who carried the letter to Philemon? <laughs> Who's got the letter in his hand? So imagine Onesimus. Hey, Paul, what did you, what did you write? Oh, wait, wait, you wrote this? And he's telling him, you have to go back. Think about that for a second. What's the mentality that so many people have today? God just wants me to be happy. Everything is about happiness, right? If I'm not happy, then there's something wrong. God just wants me to be happy. Well, wait a second. What situation do you think Onesimus would have preferred? Going back to Philemon as a slave? Maybe spending some more time with Paul. He was useful for Paul. Paul makes that very clear in Philippians chapter 4. And I got to tell you, Onesimus, Onesimus had great faith. Great faith. Great courage. Because he's now going to have to subject himself as a slave to a brother in Christ. And not only that, but Philemon had control over all of his material possessions. It would have been within the rights of Philemon to, to whip him under that, under that time. Maybe even to brand him with, with an F on his forehead as a fugitive. And Paul's saying, no, I want you to receive him back with love, with care, with forgiveness. But maybe, maybe it wasn't as hard as we think it is or was. Because Philemon had great faith. We saw that earlier in the text in verse 5. And clearly, Onesimus had great faith. And what else is amazing about this story is that this letter is going to be read in, in front of the church. The church that, meet, that met in the house of Philemon, they're going, to learn, they're going to know all of this. That Paul is saying, you receive him back and you receive him with a spirit of love. So when you look at the letter to Philemon, I think that's what Paul is trying to get across. That you receive him back the proper way and you do it with the right disposition, with the right, uh, with the right mindset, a spirit of love. So what does this mean for us? When you look at this letter of Philemon, obviously a lot of things have changed. And many of the things that Paul may be talking about may not necessarily apply to us. But there are some great lessons uh, that we can learn from this short letter to Philemon. I just want to share a couple of thoughts and then the lesson will be yours. Number one, we need to understand that Jesus died for all men. I think that's one of the best lessons that we can learn from this short letter to Philemon. He died for all men. It didn't matter whether a person was a master or a slave. It didn't matter if a person is rich or poor. Jesus died for all men. Brothers and sisters, what a powerful point that is for us. It doesn't matter what a person's skin color may be or how much money they may have or their social status or whatever the case may be. Jesus, when he was on the cross, he died for all men. What a blessing that is. Something that we need to always teach our children and certainly teach people in the community. Philemon was rich. Onesimus was poor. And yet they were both equal because they were in Jesus Christ. And the lesson we can learn from this story is that God's not concerned about social status. And therefore, neither should we. You have the warning in the book of James. Remember in James chapter 2, right after the book of Hebrews, in James chapter 2. 
Uh, James talked about partiality in verse number one. He said, my brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism and the individual who comes in wearing certain clothing and apparel and someone who may be wearing something different. He said, he said don't, you don't show favoritism to them. And we need to remember that Jesus, he has died for all men. And what a great message that is for all of us, that we all are one in Jesus Christ. Number two, we learn that Jesus expects us to do the right thing. This is a pretty challenging letter. I'm going through this kind of fast, but I want you to really think about what Philemon and Onesimus were called to do. Jesus expects me and he expects you to do the right thing even when it's hard. This was a hard situation. It's easy to do the right thing when it's easy or when it's convenient. But Paul is saying, Philemon or Onesimus, I'm sending you back. That's the right thing to do. And Onesimus said, you know what? That is the right thing to do. Brothers and sisters, what a powerful thought for us that we need to do the right thing, even when it's challenging. That took courage on the part of both of these men. And as Christians, we're going to have to be courageous, and we're going to have to do what's right, even when it's challenging. Young people, you're going to have to do the right thing, even when it's difficult. When you go back to school in, the, in a few short weeks, you're going to have to do the right thing. You're going to have to stand for what's right, even when others may not. You're going to have to be honest with your parents and, and, and not try to deceive them. You're going to have to do the right thing, even when it may be challenging. As parents, we're going to have to do the right thing, even when it's hard. When it comes to teaching our children or disciplining our children, husbands and wives, we're going to have to treat our, our mate, our spouse the right way, even when it's challenging. Not just when it's merely convenient, but even when it's really, really hard, we still need to do the right thing. And I will say this about Onesimus. Onesimus, would you agree that Onesimus had a humble spirit? <laughs> he had to have a humble spirit. He's listening to Paul. You know what Onesimus did? He listened to sound, sound counsel. He listened to wise words from Paul. Paul said, look, this is the right thing to do. Now, it may be really challenging. It may be really hard. It may be tough. You may have some fears, but this is the right thing that you need to do. And I think there's a valuable lesson. It can be very difficult for us to accept instruction from other people. We like to do things our own way. And you, who are you to tell me what I can and cannot do? Many in America have that mindset. You're not going to tell me what to do. And yet, Paul is helping us to see you know, Onesimus, he had a humble spirit. And he listened to wise counsel. And I think there's something to be said there when a brother or sister approaches us and they're coming in a spirit of love and gentleness and they're trying to, to help us to maybe see something that we don't necessarily see or trying to correct us. Maybe it's a shepherd or maybe it's whoever it may be, a brother or sister in Christ, it doesn't matter who it may be, that we, that we take a step back and we consider maybe what they're saying is actually true. Maybe I should be listening to what they're saying. Onesimus, he could have said, I'm not going back. What do you, come on, Paul. You really want me to go back? You know what Philemon's going to do? What he can do? And yet Philemon or Onesimus said, I'm going to listen to what Paul said because he's leading me in the right direction. And I think that's something important for us. Jesus expects us to do the right thing even when it is challenging. And another point that we can take away from this is that Jesus demands that we have the right heart. 
This was all about heart for Philemon and Onesimus. A heart of love, compassion, forgiveness. Our theme is becoming more like Christ. And I firmly believe that Philemon, Paul had confidence in Philemon. He said, I know you're going to do this. He had already commended him about his love and his faith. And Philemon now needed to have the right heart, the right disposition, as did Onesimus. I will tell you, my friends, there will be times that brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to face some challenging moments. I'm not going to use an if or a certain scenario. It's just the fact of life. There are going to be some challenging situations between brothers and sisters in, in Christ. You go to any congregation, it doesn't matter what congregation it may be. Someone here is going to hurt your feelings. Someone here is going to make you upset. I'm not necessarily saying those things are okay, but I'm just saying these things happen. They happen in a family. Has that ever happened to you at home with your husband or your wife or your children? Well, we're a spiritual family, and there are going to be challenges along the way. Someone may even do you wrong, speak bad about you. And yet this story here helps us to see what type of heart must we have. Heart of love, of reconciliation of forgiveness, of helping one another, of being patient. I don't know what that looked like when Onesimus walked back, maybe knocked on that door, and Philemon opened up the door. But Paul had enough confidence that these men were going to be able to get this done. Now, I want you to think about this. If Paul was writing something about us, would he have the same confidence in us that we would have the same type of heart? The same type of disposition. He said, look, Philemon, I could force you to do this. I don't want to do that because I know the type of man that you are. And Onesimus, I could force you to do that as well, but I want you to go back because that's the right thing to do. Brothers and sisters, this is an overlooked letter that really should never be overlooked. You can sit and really ponder this letter for a long period of time, and it will be challenging. And yet this is what we can learn from this forgotten letter. I hope you've learned something. I hope you've been reminded of something. And I want to just remind you of one more thing that we can learn from this letter. We can learn that the gospel has the power to save souls and that we should never give up on anyone because Paul helped convert a runaway slave. And that man could have been looked at and Paul could have said, he's not going to listen. He's going to do his own thing. And yet we find that Onesimus listened to Paul. And I think the big thing here is that the gospel changed this man's heart. And it can change our hearts if we allow it. Let's share the gospel. This is how true change is going to take place. Not just in our hearts or in this congregation, but in the entire world. That's how things are going to become better. When people are exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's make sure that we don't forget about that important point. The forgotten letter. Let's make sure we hold on to this. If there's change that needs to take place in our heart, reconciliation, forgiveness, patience, now is the time for us to do that. If Philemon and Onesimus could do that, brothers and sisters, we can do the same. Let's make sure that we're pleasing to God. If you're not saved and you need to be saved from your sins, follow in the path of Onesimus and obey the gospel of Jesus. Put on Christ today through baptism. If we can help you out with that, come now as we stand and sing.
Burn, burn, burn.